everyone, and we are live broadcasting everywhere. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Jonathan Kogan Show. I'm your host, Johnny K. It's great to be with you. It's always good to be with you. I say that all the time. So the Silicon Valley bank collapse. What a conundrum. So interesting, interesting. So I was going to post this yesterday, but I didn't. I didn't. And I apologize for that, but I'm posting it now. And I got some good clips coming up. So this is a tough one. I get both sides. This is a, you know, when you approach things from an apolitical lens, you can understand the world a lot better because you don't have biases. You only care about truth. Um, The world becomes much more well understood, let's say. So both sides of this argument are very interesting, very interesting. So the one side I get, which is like the David Sachs side, which is these are small businesses that are the future of our economy. This is an extinction level event. That's Gary Wang's, uh, you know, uh, CEO of Y Combinator's quote, extinction level event. Uh, we need to save them. All they did was deposit it in a bank account, you know, and if you can't trust that your money deposit in a bank account is safe, well, then what's everyone going to do? This is going to be a disaster. These banks didn't take risky bets. All they did was deposit their funds into a bank that went under. And we need to bail them out. Just the depositors, not the investors, not no equity, no of the you know the CEO, any of that. They all lose everything. But just the depositors, the peasants, the customers. I guess I guess we can call them peasants. This one's in particular in the you know tech industry. A lot of them are VC funded, but that doesn't matter. These are just businesses, right? So we got to bail them out, or this is a catastrophe. I I get that because if that doesn't happen chaos in chaos comes after that right but on the other side it's like okay this sets an awful precedent where now banks can go involve involve themselves in any risky amount of bets gamble all depositors money because they know there's a backstop by the fed and so they should go be risky as possible because it doesn't matter the fed has their back it doesn't matter just go take as much risk as possible if it doesn't work out and you go under doesn't matter. Your depositors are covered by the Fed. Doesn't matter how much. We got it. So very dangerous. So both sides are very interesting. Very interesting. So I got a couple of clips here. I think the Fed guy, um, who is uh, Joseph uh, Wang, who used to work at the Fed, is giving the good, the probably the best take on this. He was on with George Gammon on the Rebel 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 Capitalist Show, and follow me on this one. Is it possible? We've covered this. So I think it was episode 146. You can go back to 146 about the FDIC uh, video that leaked. Of course you got you. Of course you got that video here prior to a bank collapsing. Of course you got the truth here, like 20 episodes ago, because that's what I do. I deliver you the truth. Why? Because we're on the same team. Period. So that was called FDIC bail-ins. And what does that mean? What does that mean? Oh, they knew the banking system was all was was off the rails. <laughs> no pun intended, because the payment rails, you know, uh, or maybe the pun was intended. I don't know. Who cares? It was a good pun. So, um, FDIC meeting saying we're going to need bail-ins. The banking system is it, it's going under. Everything's in chaos, but we shouldn't tell the public because then the public will freak out and there'll be bank runs. That video leaked, shared with you. If you're following the Jonathan Kogan show, if you're new to the Jonathan Kogan show, welcome to the truth and nothing but the truth. Will help us. Ah! And we say, ah! because some people are deterred by saying, you know, God, and other things, but you do whatever you want to praise. It does not matter. So we leave it blank for you called ah! doesn't matter. So uh, FDIC bail ins, right? 
And uh, uh, go listen to that episode if you want more on that. But they knew the banking system was unwinding. They knew this was happening. And they didn't tell you because you're not smart enough to figure out the information. You're a stupid peasant. But you know that by now. You know that they treat you like an idiot. That's why they need to have dismiss, malinformation. You know, they need a whole censorship industrial complex also covered here on the John at the Kogan show because they need to filter through information because you can't understand the truth. You can't decipher truth from fiction. You're too dumb. You're too dumb. But I don't think you're dumb. I think you're smart, and I think we're breaking through, and I think the apolitical movement is moving to the top real fast, like real fast. So uh, FDIC Balance obviously covered that. So uh, it's just a crazy situation. Yeah, so the best take is probably you probably should the bank go under, sell all the ads, sell stuff, and then the depositors get like 80 cents on the dollar. Like I get both sides, both sides, man. This is a, this is a real tough one. I have to say this is one of the tougher ones ever. Um, there's a good debate on the Megyn Kelly show between David Sachs and Vivek Ramaswamy, the presidential candidate for the Republican party, uh, Ramaswamy. It's like a, you could think about it like a cartoon skit where they have like some fake president come out and go, oh, this is president Ramaswamy, you know, like a funny character. That's how I kind of think of that name. I don't know if that makes sense to you or not, but it makes sense to me. All right. So let's play the first. Oh yeah. Follow me on this. I forgot. Perhaps what we're seeing here as part of the great reset, which it went from, uh, being identified on the Wikipedia as a conspiracy theory to now as an economic plan to better the world, uh, that it's this will help centralize more power. And so what's happening is you basically want all of the bank's deposits to be on the Fed's balance sheet, centralize it all the way up to the Fed. So then the Fed has all depositors money, 100% shirt. So all the, so all the money moves from the regional banks, to the big banks and then the big banks, it goes on the fed and they're hundred percent guaranteed. And then the fed goes, you know what? We are going to roll out a central bank digital currency also covered on this podcast. Many, many, many times go listen to those episodes. They are fantastic. Uh, and it, this is a plan for them to issue in a central bank digital currency because as predicted on this show, we believe all the chaos that's ensuring right now, and going on and has been going on for the past three years. The end game is we are actually at the tail end of this debt driven monetary system that we have played for decades right now. And the US dollars in jeopardy of losing its world reserve currency status, which you are seeing in real time when you see China, when you're seeing China negotiate deals between Iran and Saudi Arabia to be friends because China wants to pay buy oil from Saudi Arabia in yens or whatever they have, their currency, which right now is referred to as the petrodollar, where you need to hold U.S. dollars. They're trying to knock that off the global stage because if you can knock that off, then you can jeopardize the world reserve currency, which we have held since the Bretton Woods Agreement in 1945. And this world order is reshaping in real time. And all of this is a cover-up by the West to hopefully usher in a new system, bring down the old system and usher in a new one. And that ultimately is what ends in a central bank digital currency. Is it perhaps part of a plan? Could they be centralizing more power with this? Is that too conspiratorial? Is it true? I don't know. I don't know. But it definitely makes you entertain the thought, especially when you listen to all the episodes published here on the John the Kogan Show. It seems like it's in rhythm of what we are on to because we are on to the agenda of the elites. The peasants can... We can smell it. We can smell the nonsense. Excuse my language, but we can smell the bullshit. We know something isn't right. You know something isn't right. 
And they cannot let us, the people, the peasants of the world, join hands across party lines, against cultural differences, uh, 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 against all odds, to be friends, to be together, to realize it's us against them. And if we do that, that, my friends, would be a revolution and we can create our own system rather than the elites trying to usher in their own system. They are trying to control demolition of the end of their debt-driven system, which, by the way, you have our system right now to hold up. They have to keep pulling money into the now from the future to spend on wars, to spend on uh, Operation Warp Speed, what you're going to see crazy spending. They have to spend more and more and more to keep the system inflated so it can survive. We are debt driven. It's coming to an end and they want to be able to own the system forever because you control the money, you control the world. Henry Kissinger, who also ironically negotiated the petrodollar. And so this system is collapsing. They're trying to control that collapse and then usher in a central bank digital currency. And so they can't have those regional banks. They can't have peasants running banks. They need elite large institutions. They need to own it all. It needs to funnel all the way up to the Fed. And perhaps this is what's happening. Do you think that could happen? Do you think that could be true? Do you? Leave a comment. Let me know. Share the podcast. Get some insight. Let's get some more feedback. This is what it's about. Healthy debates, discussion, uncomfortable conversations to get to the truth. We must have it. Okay. Without further ado, let's play this clip from George Hammond on Rebel Capitalists about this theory and see what he says because I think it's a good take. And again, Joseph Wang worked at the Fed for a long time and uh just listen to this take by them here we go okay well in the next crisis why won't the central planners start talking about you know why or why would they not ask the question should we even have commercial deposits on the balance sheets of commercial banks or retail depositors why on earth are we taking all this risk when we don't have to? Why do we even have the FDIC? All they are is a middleman. It doesn't even make sense. Why would we not take these depositors' accounts and just put them on the balance sheet of the Fed? Because that bank cannot go bust. So that's the ultimate insurance policy, and we'll never, ever, ever have to worry about bank failures again. And those stupid Milton Friedman types should love this. Because if we just take all the retail deposits and put them on the Fed's balance sheet, then we actually can let the big banks fail and we can let the free market work. And you know that's basically a central bank digital currency. So do, do you think I'm being a little too Alex Jones there? <laughs> or what do you think? You know, I, I would think that would be, except that I know, I know there are people in administration who want that. So I yep. know there are people in the administration who want to get rid of the banks and have everyone just have a CBDC at the Fed because the administration nominated so, uh, Amarova from, uh, uh, right. you know, uh, is his name Saul, Saul Amarova? Uh, professor. Something like that. Yeah, something, something like, like that. that. They nominated her to be um, the head of the Office of the Comptroller of the Currency, which is one of the top banking regulators in the U.S. So her, she is just an academic, but she writes about uh, banking. And one of her most noteworthy works is a dream where she would say, we just have one bank. We just have uh, basically the Fed. Everyone has deposits at the Fed, so a CBDC. And the Fed, well, the Fed will allocate credit because after all, uh, the people in the government, so wise like herself, are going to be able to allocate credit the best way to uh, to make 
to, to, for the good of society, basically. Right. So right. in a sense, it's a command and control economy. It's uh, essentially the model of the Soviet Union or uh, before or um, Red China back in the day. So they basically want a communist system. And one way to do that is to take over the banking system. And this is potentially a slow move towards that direction. Because like, like you mentioned, George, well, if everything is unlimited insurance and maybe CBDCs are waiting in the wings, maybe we just all bank with the Fed. Yeah. I think so interesting take, right? Interesting take. That's kind of what I'm thinking. So it's funny. The administration, this current administration, uh, changed. We did a podcast on this too. What do you know? What a shock. How they changed the word of recession when there were two consecutive quarters of negative GDP, which used to be the definition. And they're like, oh, we're not in a recession. We're just going to change definitions. Just like this one is not a bailout, but is it a bailout? Is it a bailout? So no, they didn't bail out the people that have equity that, you know, are the investors, but they bail out the depositors. Does that still make it a bailout? I think it, sure as hell makes it a bailout. It's still a bailout, okay? But they're not going to use the word bailout because that phrase doesn't work so well. Now, is it is this an, is this another uh case of an inversion on uh real the inversion of the system we used to know, like how we've seen like the, the on the political front like the two sides kind of swap. Like what back in 2008 the people who were anti bailout, are those the same people that are pro bailout? For this one, is this another inversion that we are noticing? I, I don't know if that's true. Where the people that were, you know, doing against Wall Street and against bailouts, are they the ones that were really pro bailout on this one? I don't know. Let me know. I'm curious because if that's true, another funny thing to chalk up. I find that very interesting. Just the whole world is in a little bit of an inversion. It's called the upside down. Uh, so is this a bailout? Why don't we just let Joseph Wang explain that to us? I think he has a good take on this. Um, this is from, uh, uh, this is from Blockwork uh, podcast and, um, just someone has to say it's short. This moral hazard, was this a bailout? 100% bailout and an unprecedented bailout really. So there's two things happening here. So what one is what happened with the um, Silicon Valley bank deposits, depositors, and the other is the facility. So I'll touch on a little bit of both. So listen, we never want uh, you know mom and pop to lose their money when they put money in a bank. So the way that the government does this is that they give everyone a $250,000 FDIC insured account. So they protect basically the average person. Silicon Valley Bank was very uncommon in that almost all of its deposits were uninsured. So it wasn't a bank for mom and pop. It was a bank for rich people and for companies, people who should have known better how to manage your money. Now, I used to work in the money markets, and I can tell you that anyone who is just mildly competent in managing corporate money knows that banks can fail. And so you want to put some in money market accounts, want to buy some bills and so forth. So all these guys uh, basically you know, just bet, bet it all on Silicon Valley Bank. That was their choice. And the government uh, basically bent the rules to protect them. Now, I'm pretty certain that if we had a small bank somewhere in Oklahoma fail, you know, I'm sure the government would not be making those depositors whole uh, if they were uninsured. And to be perfectly clear, over the past 20 years, we had 500 banks fail. Banks fail all the time. Not uh, as large as Silicon Valley Bank, but they, they fail all the time. So we had a process in place, but we basically bent the rules to protect, uh, I guess, people who are who are really didn't really need protecting. Now the bailout, the facility that we're talking about now, 
is um, an emergency lending facility that the Fed has. And what the facility does is something that a central bank has, to my knowledge, never done before because it's completely crazy. So as if you're a central banker, you understand basically uh, basic dictum of central banking. You know, lend to banks that are solvent. You want to lend against good collateral and you want to lend at rates that are punitive. What you're doing is you're, you want to be a backstop to the banking sector. Bank has, you know, has some liquidity problems, not solvency, but some liquidity problems. You want to go and you want to help them. You don't want to have panic. Okay. That's what a central bank has traditionally done. This new facility though lends to banks, even if they are insolvent. Now this is, you know, what it is, is it has no solvency requirements. So, you know, they're going to lend whoever shows up. Okay. Two, and this is really, really interesting is that they're willing to lend essentially unsecured. So if you have, if you bought, Okay, so if you bought $100 in U.S. Treasuries, now it's trading at $70 because they've had high rates. You can take that $70, pledge it at the facility, and borrow $100. So in effect, the Fed would be lending $30 unsecured to you. It never does that. You're lending. You're you're basically um, lending against poor collateral, so to speak, and you're lending at a rate that's uh, around the market. And I, I suspect it's slightly below market. Depend if you're a bank and you need help, you're Borrowing rates are going to go way higher. So what the Fed is offering is basically to bail out in all the entire banking industry. And that's unfortunate because over the past 10 years, we've done so much, so much to improve the banking sector, so much regulation, so much uh, the Fed has put a lot of liquidity in the banking sector that we, and we, we could have shown the world that the banking sector was stronger. But now we've shown that we really don't need bank bribes. We just need the Fed to fire up the printer. Just wow. Very, very interesting. Very interesting. So is it a consolidation of power? Is this to perhaps get everybody under, under less institutions all the way up to the Fed, maybe just even the big banks, the Bank of America, JP Morgan Chase, which by the way, for anyone that has money in Chase, just a red flag. Jim Cramer tweeted out, I believe yesterday, he tweeted, JP Morgan Chase is a fortress. And if you know about Kramer, there's this ETF called Inverse Kramer, which is the opposite of what Kramer does. And it does extremely well. Basically, whatever he said a month ago, he said one month ago to buy Silicon Valley Bank. Basically, whatever he says, the opposite occurs if you haven't known that. Okay, it's like a funny meme that goes around. So what he says, the opposite thing happens. Uh, in fact, since we're doing real time here, I want to pull up. <laughs> Uh, Jim Cramer. It's just amazing. This was literally one month before. One month before. Uh, it, oh my God. Is this from CNBC? Oh my God. So he wrote that JP Morgan Chase is a fortress. Uh, and that is a bad sign. So let's see if we can, uh, pull it up here real quick. Oh, I think I might have found it on breaking points. Uh, too funny though. So, anyways. I think this could be setting the stage for CBDC. I could be wrong. I'm very curious what you think. Um, I mean, I don't know. What do you think? I think it's definitely something that uh, is is possible here. Uh, so let's see if I could pull it up in real time. Sorry about getting distracted here. So because uh, I'm only seeing things from like four days ago. Oh, it was so funny. It was so funny. So. I know, I know Tucker Carlson actually played it. So mm, perhaps we can find it. So anyways, it doesn't matter, but he said it, it, to buy it. It's amazing. Uh, don't worry about it. Blah, blah, blah. 
and it wasn't true. All right. So what else is going on in the world? I'm going to try and pull that up in a little bit here. I have a little trouble doing it, even though we do things in real time. Um, and you know, it'd be faster to do it on my phone. So I'm curious. Do you think I, we do think the end game is central bank digital currency? <laughs> is it, is it possible? Let's see. So buy Silicon Valley bank. Let's see if we can pull it up here. Four days ago. Um, 20. Oh man. All right. So I don't, I don't know if we can find it too funny though. All right. Anyways. Oh, but oh, I'm trying to pull it up real quick. Warner bros. He talks about meta Nvidia. What's this one? Royal Caribbean. SVB Financial. Oh my God. I found it. This is amazing. This is amazing. I think we could pull it up right now. This is absolutely hysterical. Absolutely hysterical. So um, let's see if we could pull it up here. He literally pumps it like, like no other. It's unbelievable. So let's see here. All right. So I, I, I got really stuck on this because I really think that it, you you have to hear this. It's absolutely hysterical. All right, I'm going to play it right now. I found it. This is from CNBC. This is literally from CNBC. Let's play it right now in real time. We pulled it up. This was not expected, but that's what we have to do. It's This is the CNBC. Jim Cramer says he's intrigued by these 10, these, by these 10 top performing stocks. This was one month ago. This is one month ago. Literally. All right. Take a listen. And when it comes to vacations, cruises, by the way, are the best value especially if you like to uh, imbibe. The ninth best performer year-to-date is SVB Financial. Don't you want? This company's a merchant bank with a deposit base that Wall Street had been mistakenly concerned about. SVB is the old Silicon Valley Bank. Recently bought one of our favorite research firms, Moffitt Nathanson, and it's become less dependent upon private equity and venture capitalist offerings. Wait a second. Those dried up last year, they could come back. Yes, some of them come back here with a stock directly affects an oversold position. Stock was the fourth worst performer in 2022. I think the fears were not justified. It's a very compelling situation. Hey, by the way, long-term private equity and venture capital, they're not going away. Being the banker to these invest, immense pools of capital has always been a very good business. Stock's still cheap. Now, you have to remember that a stock that falls 66%, like SBB Financial did last year, well, it takes it a lot more to recover. After losing two-thirds of your value, you need a 200% gain to get back to even. This is arithmetic. Some people call it geometry. So you could argue SVB's nearly 40% rally this year is barely a drop in the bucket. And that's how I want you to think it. I think it's also a good example of why these bounce-back moves might be far from over. These stocks could have more room to run, especially if you think they were driven down to artificially low levels by tax loss selling, artificial dumping, like we saw in Warner Bros. Discovery or Tesla. That's important because today was one of the worst days since the year began. After these stocks were big participants in the decline, I understand that. Many of the bounces this year have come from stocks that were heavily shorted. Many of them were correctly beaten down. It's just that the declines got a little too excessive when nothing really bad happened, (laughs) at least by the end of last year. (laughs) It's just a drop in the bucket. It's going to gain way more. Put your money into SVB, you idiot. He is obviously on corporate television, a mouthpiece for the elites, telling you peasants to put your money in there because the elites are pulling out at the same time, baby. 
That is how the world works. We didn't know it always functioned like that, but it probably always has. But he's probably there as a mouthpiece for the elites to save their asses. And you put your money in and they get their money out. That was one month ago, one month ago, saying that the, that it's not justified. It's always a great business. You got to buy Silicon Valley Bank. It, that is unbelievable. You can't even make that up. That is fantastic. That is literally fantastic television. Unbelievable. So inverse, in fact, on Twitter, it's called inverse Kramer and you can even, it's a real ETF inverse Kramer ETF. I highly encourage you to go look it up. It is hysterical. It's almost spot on. And he just said JP Morgan, JP Morgan Chase is a fortress, which means it's the opposite of a fortress. So perhaps it's going under. So yeah, I see both sides. Uh, I, but we like to take a step back apolitically and say, Hey, is this, is there a bigger plan here? I don't know. The CBDC is the end game. Is this a play? You know, our, and money is being reported moving from regional banks into the big four banks, the big five banks, wherever they are, Bank of America, JP Morgan Chase, all them. Uh, Wells Fargo has asked for money out of this fund. I believe it was just 13.9 billion. So basically they're just saying, we'll bail out all depositors, do whatever you want. So it is a rough precedent. I understand it would have been a catastrophe. For the uh, for all the startups and businesses that would have been affected, and all the layoffs and small businesses, there's tons of people there. Silicon Valley Bank. However, I, I get the other side. It's 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 crazy. It's very very crazy. So, what do you think? I mean, the whole point of this podcast is for you to think critically yourself, to use your own God given critical thinking skills, and to see, hey, you know. What's going on here? What do I think? I, let me get all the information possible from the most reliable sources. Can I get the truth? And, uh, you know, basically what's the end game here? Uh, do you want to hear the debate between Vivek Ramaswamy and, uh, uh, um, David Sachs? David Sachs is from the All In podcast. And I said Vivek Ramaswamy is the, uh, candidate. Um, actually, you know, maybe I'll, I'll play it real quick here. And we can, uh, let's see, we could see right here. Silicon Valley Bank collapsed. This was, see, this is healthy debates. This is the type of debates that we need. All right. This is the type of debate that we need. I'm going to play it for you. So let's play some of it. Let's, let's play a little bit of this because we are pro supply as much information as possible. Uh, Megan Kelly hosted this. So props for that. And, I think these are both really good takes. And so let's start it off here. So let's just start. So let's just start it here. Let's play it. Let's walk through it. Let's dissect it. Let's keep it going. Let's keep it going. I know we want to keep this pod going. You know why? Because this pod is lit. It's amazing. It is fire. It is straight truth. By the way, Sam Harris was just on Lex Freeman, and I think he uh, has still lost his mind, but I haven't got through it, so that's not my professional opinion yet, but it will come soon. Take a listen. Take it away, Megan. These banks, it, so it's unrealized. You have a loss on the on paper, but you don't have it in real life until you actually have to sell it. So you're saying a lot of these banks had yes. unrealized losses, which are scary, but only actually impact you if you have to sell the bonds. Go ahead. Right. That, I think that's very well said. But the thing to understand is, even though the losses may be unrealized, the value of those bonds has gone down because the value of bonds moves in the opposite yep. direction of interest rates. And as we know, interest rates have spiked over the last year in a way that we haven't seen in decades because we're dealing with the uh, worst inflation in 40 years. This leads us to SVB. They had about $80 billion of, of mortgage bonds. Uh, even though they're a startup bank, they serve Silicon Valley. I think it's important to understand that they got in trouble not because 
of some sort of risky startup behavior. They got in trouble because they basically bought a bunch of mundane, boring mortgage bonds. And the value of those uh, bonds got decimated over the last year. And their capital basically got to the point where they needed to do, uh, they basically needed to raise emergency capital. And when they announced that they were going to have to do a stock issuance, uh, the hedge funds got a hold of this. Their share price basically tanked. And then a run on the bank started on Thursday. People basically began to worry that it was insolvent. And then on Friday, the Fed stepped in and uh, took it into receivership. <clears throat> and that was the start of this crisis. But if you look mm -hmm. at what's going on now uh, in the stock market today, on Monday, uh, this is a much bigger problem than Silicon Valley Bank. Uh, you're seeing now trading was halted this morning in uh, roughly half a dozen major, major regional banks. Uh, the uh, the interest the the bond market now has rallied significantly. It is betting that the Fed will now have to cut interest rates because uh, banks are in trouble. And so, you know, I wish this was just a story about SVB and Silicon Valley Bank, but it's a much bigger story than that. And and this is where I took issue with Vivek's uh, take on this: is that he basically said this was a Silicon Valley problem. We shouldn't bail them out. We shouldn't worry about it. This is no systemic risk. And two hours after he wrote that piece in the Wall Street Journal, Signature Bank in New York was seized by regulators. There was a run on the bank that started on Friday. And now we see this huge problem in all these other banks on Monday. So this is where I, I fundamentally disagree with Vivek. I, I think that we probably share a lot of views in common about a lot of things, including where SVB mismanaged its finances, because certainly they did a bad job. But this is a much larger issue because of the the fact that the Fed has slammed on the brakes after basically running the American economy at 150 miles an hour. So that is the wreckage we are starting to see right now. And we can talk about SVB, but we should also talk about the larger problem in this economy. Uh, we're definitely going to get to all of that. And Vivek, before you respond, just to add some some more meat on the bones of the background, because I didn't know anything about this prior to this story breaking on Friday. Um, it's kind of an interesting, so tech kind of has its own bank and it's this bank. And um, yes, they invested in all these so-called safe government bonds, like these treasuries and these mortgage-backed securities uh, with the low interest rates. But I know you've been pointing out the those interest rates going back up was foreseeable. And other other banks foresaw it and hedged their investment portfolios accordingly. You know, SVB did not, which is one of the questions you've been raising about whether they deserve, they deserve help. Um, so they they were living large for a long period during the tech bubble, 2021, post-pandemic, during pandemic, all these tech companies did so well. They hired a bunch of people. They were in the bubble. And then post the bubble, like it's been popping in tech before it popped anyplace else, um, not only have those uh, have those companies been doing less well and their deposits into Silicon Valley Bank have been going down and they need to withdraw more to cover payroll and things like that. So SVB's coffers are less full. Um, but then the Fed steps in, starts hiking up the interest rates. So the value of uh, their portfolio, the SVBs overall, is going down. So it's a bad combo. The money is being pulled out and the money they're taking in is going down. And, and so it leads to sort of a crisis. And then, as, as uh, David just made reference to, this is kind of an interesting thing about it. So the investor money's drying up. The depositors begin withdrawing money to make payroll. SVB needed to raise money to meet the withdrawals. The dispatch uh, news service had a great write-up on this. I'm quoting from them in part. Then they had to sell a $21 billion portfolio. Well, no, no, sorry. Let me, let me revise that. Then to shore up the resulting hole that they had in their balance sheet, they announced a capital raise of $2.25 That's what they had to do. 
Um, and that's when the panic ensued. They had they announced that they were shoring up uh, their you know suffering balance sheet and that they needed a capital raise of two point two five billion. That's all. But then panic ensued. Panic ensued. And on Thursday, customers withdrew Vivek has a forty two so billion. So their position and we could have covered the two point two billion, two point you know, if we had had like somebody come in and help us, we could have gotten that. No bank could cover forty two billion. Well, here, one of the issues that probably Dave and I agree with, I mean, this was mismanaged at the level of the CEO who actually, I think, in a bad act, sold stock just several days before the calamity, but also botched the communication, right? They only in securities filings cryptically said they were raising equity capital. That didn't instill confidence. And then he committed the telltale cardinal sin during a bank run of admonishing his own customers to stay calm and calm down. So no better way to actually mm. drive a bank run crisis than that. But I, I want to actually put my finger on a, a really important point here. What we saw on the last day, because I think David and I agree on a lot, let's focus on where we disagree for the sake of the discussion. This was effectively a bailout of Silicon Valley tech startups. That is who the customers of Silicon Valley Bank were. And it's important to see exactly what this was. It's not a bailout of Silicon Valley Bank. Everyone agrees on that. The equity holders in Silicon Valley Bank are crushed, as they should be. But this was a bailout of tech startups in Silicon Valley who chose to bank with SVB. And what does this do? It incentivizes some really bad behavior. I think a lot of folks in Silicon Valley have somehow gotten addicted to this mentality that financial discipline is not their job. There's CFOs I've talked to in the last 48, 72 hours who didn't even know, CFOs of multi-billion dollar tech startups who didn't even know what the deposit insurance limit was from an FDIC perspective. Roku, what? inexplicably. I just want to just give you another example. Roku, inexplicably. It's like an $8 billion some odd public company, something like that had close to half a billion dollar balance on balance with Silicon Valley Bank itself without diversifying. And I just think one of the things that we're doing here is rewarding that bad behavior by saying that even though you didn't do your diligence, even though you weren't exercising financial, basic financial discipline, we're still going to reward that anyway. And then the dirty little secret here, Megan, is that Silicon Valley Bank and also all the people around it, but Silicon Valley Bank included, lobbied for years for lower capital requirements and lower risk requirements on the express thesis that they were not systemically important. What does that mean? It means they're saying we're never, we're not never going to be important enough for the federal government to step in and save us and treat us any differently anyway. That's why we get to take greater risk. That's why perhaps they didn't even want to engage in interest rate hedging, though any other professional bank would have done it. And yet in their hour of need, what does everyone in and around Silicon Valley argue? They argue the bank run thesis that it is indeed systemically important. And I just think that's hypocritical and it's a problem. And I think we got to separate this question of how we would have handled Silicon Valley Bank, which is the bigger of the two, significantly bigger in scale than Signature Bank and also came first and also it's worth talking about. Silicon Valley Bank versus how we want to handle a bank run on the rest of the banks across the country. So I think that there's a way to separate this. In my Wall Street Journal op-ed running in print today, I separate the two. If you want to raise the FDIC deposit insurance maximum above $250,000 for everybody, that's a reasonable conversation to have. The Federal Reserve is the lender of last resort to all banks in this country. Great, there are other mechanisms. But I think it really sows well-founded mistrust when you change the rules on a whim, on the fly, after the fact, for whichever darlings might be the greatest favorite. It's a favorites. decent point. I, the arguments I heard over the weekend were really, I think, discouraging to me all the way from one end of the spectrum saying that, no, 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 these are America's entrepreneurs, the chosen class, the special ones driving the American economy. I, I mean, the number of calls I got, I mean, people throwing spaghetti against the wall, that's one argument to compete against China. I think that actually captures the essential intuition here is that these are the people who deserve to be saved, even if they are playing by a different set of rules than everybody else. 
to then saying there's going to be a bank run across the rest of America, when in fact, if that's really the case, you could handle that in a lot of different ways than just bailing out a bunch of tech startups who are banking with Silicon Valley Bank. And I think this is just okay. going to incentivize right. more of that poor. Let, let me explain what. No, go to the points where I disagree. So the, the part where I agree is that the management of SVB did not do a good job managing their risk. They deserve to go under. No one, as far as I know, We're supports ahead, a bailout of Cutting SVB. Out its stockholders are wiped out. Its bondholders are wiped out. Its stock op executives are disgraced. They're probably going to spend years in litigation. You know, nobody is saving SVB. The question here is the depositors. And I think Vivek here is really simplifying the customer mix. You had 40,000 small businesses who used SVB to do their banking. And many of them are just, you know, small companies, 10 to 100 employees. These are not big tech companies. These are companies that have to run payroll on Wednesday. If they didn't get access to their money today, as the Fed provided, they would be furloughing and firing employees. They're, they have employees all over the country. They have customers all over the country. There was a CEO of uh, one of their customers uh, who lives in Columbus, Ohio, and she says she drives a Honda and, and basically took on a second mortgage to help fund her startup of 15 people. So I think it's a gross simplification here just to say these are a bunch of rich tech fat cats who are going to get hurt or a bunch of VCs who are going to get hurt by this. This is basically 40,000 small businesses. And I think they need to be protected. I think this uh, position of basically just screw them, I think that is untenable and will lead the Republican Party to ruin. The fact of the matter is that these small businesses can't, they don't have visibility into the balance sheet of these banks, they can't make an educated decision here about how risky. Well, but you you know whether is. you have over two hundred and fifty thousand in the bank. We all know whether we have over. Two, we all know. Yeah, we all Megan, see that sign. Yeah, if FDIC me, insures up to two hundred fifty thousand. That's it. Oh, we have point. On risk. I, I, Again, I have companies that were using uh, SVB for business banking, uh, and they had more than two hundred fifty thousand in there, and they sweep that money into a money market fund. But that money market fund was basically custodied by SVB, and they could not get access to their money. So are you telling me that when they log into their account at SVB, and it says that their money is safe in a Morgan Stanley or BlackRock money market fund, oh, you didn't, you weren't smart enough, you're, you're SOL, you should lose that money. Mm -hmm. Is that your position? Mm -hmm. I mean, really, are we going to do that? Is, hold on a second. Is, is, that, is that the position of the Republican Party? Is that small businesses all over the country? And if you do this for SVB, you're talking about doing it for Signature Bank, and you're talking about doing the next half dozen banks that basically there's a run on them right now. Their stocks are, are being are, were tanking and are being frozen. Okay. So David, I think I want to say a couple of things here because I do I, this, this worker pawnification this did bother one. me over the weekend where actually people are just using the idea of workers. Suddenly Silicon Valley tech startups with uncapped upside, the business plans of multi-trillion dollar companies are now reclassified as small businesses with workers. Let's talk about that for a second, okay? Most of these are venture-backed tech companies banking with Silicon Valley Bank, okay? Now they have uncapped equity upside that taxpayers that indirectly bear the cost of this, and they do, did not enjoy. And here's the other thing, okay? You and I know this well, so let's not play this game where you know what? The investors in these businesses, it would be a it would be a very painful thing to do. But if you made a mistake as the management team, the business model of every one of those tech companies is the same today as it was last week and as it was last month. So if those business models are really viable, there's capital that those investors, frankly, people like you can be putting into those same portfolio companies. But that is a difficult thing to do. It is painful. I know it is painful. It involves dilution. It involves added capital off a of venture firm's balance sheet. The founders are going to make less money when their stock goes up. 
And that's part of the consequence and part of the bargain of capitalism is when you make a bad risk management decision by putting way too much money in one bank, even if your business model continues to hold, you personally are going to make less money because you had to actually raise capital to make up for the hole that you created on your balance sheet. That's how capitalism works. Now, I think this quantification okay. of the worker to say that this is about now it's not tech startups, let's call them small businesses. And then it's really about the workers is really actually a myth to actually protect people just from equity dilution. And here's okay. the other thing on that point. Many people, and you know this well too, who did business with Silicon Valley Bank had special arrangements with Silicon Valley Bank. Now, you and I share in common the fact that venture debt is usually a bad idea for a startup. But nonetheless, Silicon Valley Bank did provide venture debt to a lot of these startups, which allows those founders and CEOs to own greater ownership percentage in their firms. The taxpayers- right, They got, I, 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 we got, you, they got an advantage. I'm up against- all right. So we'll stop it there. I th see, that is what we're missing in society. Let me tell you the takeaway from that debate. It's a debate that is healthy. Okay. Whatever happened to people who disagree on something, putting their ideas out into the public sphere and the marketplace of ideas and let the people decide what side they think is best and most truthful. We don't think we don't need things tagged by PolitiFact or Bill Gates funded NGOs or George Soros and the other. We don't need that garbage. We need information and we need equal access to that information. And then the peasants can watch, they can listen, they can read whatever consumption tool you like to use. You can then comprehend that information and come to your very own conclusions based on all of the intel. Those were the good old days, okay? Now they're trying to filter, they're trying to censor, it's bananas, okay? That right there is a representative democracy and how it's supposed to function. You put people who disagree out there and you say debate and we moderate. That was a fantastic job right there, okay? That is what needs to be done all across the spectrum on all sorts of ideas. So maybe the takeaway from all this is that this will, in fact, allow more debates on more uncomfortable topics in the public sphere. And people will then reject censorship and say, my brain can handle information. My brain can handle deciding what is true and not true. My brain is smart. That's the type of, I don't know, movement we are trying to create here is that we are pro-freedom, pro-access to information, anti-censorship, anti-tyranny. It is so basic. These were fundamental principles not long ago, like maybe seven years ago. I don't even know. Okay, definitely like four years ago. But, you know, like 10 years ago for show. You know what I'm saying? So that is the takeaway. All right. So what do you think? I'm curious what you think. I love at KOGZ on Twitter, at KOGZ. Let me know. I'd love to hear your thoughts and your hot takes. Okay. We got bad news. Uh, Jim Cramer, uh, tweeted out, uh, today or in an article on Mad Money, quote, Jim Cramer says the Fed is on the cusp of a soft and safe landing in its, infl in its inflation fight, close quote. So that means there's going to be a hard landing and it's going to be chaos. So I just wanted to let you know so you can prepare. And for the last story of the day, your favorite governor, Governor Hochul in New York, this is from the Brownstone Institute, Governor Hochul files appeal appeal in quarantine camp lawsuit. Yes, she was trying to create a quarantine camp for the peasants, obviously, because they love you and they want you to be healthy and safe. And now she lost that case and she's appealing it. So late in the day on Monday, March 13, 2023, just hours before the deadline, New York Attorney General Latia James filed an appeal to try to overturn our successful lawsuit that struck down Governor Hochul's unconstitutional, quote, isolation and quarantine procedures regulation. In this case, Borella versus Hochul, which we won last July, 
was brought against the governor and her Department of Health on behalf of a group of uh, New York State legislators, Senator George Barallo, Assemblyman, blah, 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 together with our citizens group. The main premise of this case was breach of separation of powers, meaning the governor and her Department of Health did not have the authority to make their dystopian isolation and quarantine procedures regulation, but they are appealing it because, once again, the elites love you, okay? If, in case you didn't know, in case you forgot, they love you. By the way, if you're listening to this and the title on your Apple podcast says, in case you forgot, please look at the thumbnail and it says the Jonathan Cogan show on the thumbnail and search on Apple podcast, the Jonathan Cogan show and subscribe to that one. I don't know why I have duplicates, but I see it being ranked in Australia, in Albania, uh, in Saudi Arabia. You guys need to switch. So look at the thumbnail. You'll see my beautiful face, beautiful face. And at the top, it says the Jonathan Cogan show search that term and go subscribe to that podcast. So I can have accurate statistics. That'd be fantastic. That'd be fantastic and phenomenal. Okay. So that's what I got today. It's a, it's a, it's a crazy subject. It's a crazy subject matter. This is the first time we've been puzzled on this podcast. I think we probably, yeah, Probably let it liquidate. You get 80 cents on the dollar. Probably just let it fail. I don't like things being consolidated. We're anti-centralization of power. We don't like Soviet Union structures. We don't like red China. It's not the way we like to go because it infringes on our freedoms. We don't like quarantine camps. Some people like concentration camps. I don't know. It's up to you to decide because your brain has critical thinking skills. And God gave this, whoever gave this to you. I don't care who gave them to you, okay? The cosmos gave them to you, okay? Some sort of energy gave it to you. Sometimes we call that energy source, source energy. And you have to have connection with source, okay? Very important to have connection with source, okay? When someone says, what's the source? Say, my energy. No, that's weird. Don't say that. They'll look at you like you're a clown and deservingly so. But you need to connect yourself to source energy, okay? Source energy is what you were connected from when you were a bubba, a baby, and came from the cosmos until the humans inundated you into our world and said, do this, don't do that, do this, and started yelling at you, and then you became a human, and then you disconnected from the cosmos. You need to reconnect with the cosmos, okay? That is how you find inner peace, okay? Do I know that for sure? Absolutely not. But do I think it's true? Yes, I do. Okay. I think that's all I got today. I love you no matter where you are. I absolutely love you. You're on the same team as me. I'm on the same team as you. We're both pro-peasant, pro-human, pro-freedom, anti-tyranny, very basic. And that's it. Please follow at KOGZ on Twitter. Subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Share this podcast with three people. Three people. And subscribe on YouTube and Rumble. And donate on Patreon.com forward slash ownership economy. And I will see you later. Bye.